You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. When I first spoke to Michelle Marcus, the head of global health accounts and worldwide enterprise lead at Omnicom, the largest marketing and communications holding company in the world, she told me that she loved being in jobs that don't exist yet. And that is just a single anecdote about this incredible woman who embodies innovation in every way. With over 20 plus years of experience in healthcare and healthcare communications, Michelle knows how to commercialize the unknown whether that is solutions for infectious diseases, nutrition products and programs within surgical and devices, or anything health slash healthcare. Combining a deep customer understanding with her background in global commercial strategy and organizational performance management consulting, she has commercialized products and implemented programs in more than 80 markets worldwide. Over the past 15 years, she has sharpened her impact within the field of oncology, accelerating innovation and access, and serving on multiple boards and advisory councils. Michelle is also the founder and creator of Shift Health, the private invitation-based healthcare exchange event that focuses on the wider political, socioeconomic, and policy shifts affecting the health industries and how to invoke actionable change. Today's episode discusses how Michelle handles running all things health at a global organization such as Omnicom and how she's changing the workplace behaviors around motherhood through leading by example. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thank you. It's such a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes. Um, So today I'm so excited to speak to you about a lot of things, but especially your role as head of global health accounts worldwide enterprise lead at Omnicom, a top global agency. Before we get into the day-to-day of your role in Omnicom, I'd love our listeners to better understand how you maneuvered from going from majoring in history and sociology of science during your undergrad at UPenn and then four years as a Deloitte consultant to the role where you are today. Sure. So It's so funny because when you live the journey, it doesn't feel quite so jarring as when someone tells it to you, right? (laughs) Um, And I think the overall theme has somehow in um, my career, I've always done things that other people would shy away from. And the idea of having an adventure was more interesting to me always than the idea of getting to a certain title, Uh, The idea of having a rich experience in my life was always more interesting to me than the particular salary that came with something. And I think because of that, it allowed me to take what others would view as risks that I just viewed as opportunities. And that really formulated early in my life. When When I started at Deloitte, it was because I fell into the wrong job interview. Uh, which is a really funny thing. Uh, when you're in college, you think, you know, there's these set ideas of roles and jobs you can have. And coming out of what was, quite frankly, creating a major uh, within UPenn because nothing really fit. I liked science, but I liked people. I didn't want to work in a lab, but I didn't want to do core communications. I loved business, but I didn't really know what that was. So, Um, I showed up at one of the interviews that was had from Deloitte and went into the wrong room because I went to talk to 
an old friend who um, was actually doing the interview for that particular group. And he said, you're not going to like what you're here to interview for. Come talk to me about this. Well, what is it? Well, it's people and change management. We call it human capital. You know, we do it for a lot of pharmacy and, 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 and healthcare companies. And you, you're in healthcare. You'd probably be good at it. Come on and come on and talk to some folks. I think you'll enjoy it. And I did. And so it, from the very start, it was this idea of not getting so hung up on being a specific job, but actually being really interested in the people and the things you could do with it. And in consulting, you learn a lot of how to think critically and break down processes and think in steps. And I liked that, but I looked above me and saw the life that partners were living as one really of um, having to buy into a certain company ethos and or else not moving ahead. And there were very prescriptive different kinds of um, jobs you had, could do, but not a lot of creativity. And so I left Deloitte for an opportunity that came up with a startup that was creating something in, in the human dynamics world. I was there for a whopping six weeks when it completely reorganized and asked me, we don't know what you're really going to do here with our new, you're not an analytics person, so we don't know if you're going to have a job. But I had friends who were working at an Omnicom agency focused in healthcare. I missed healthcare and I spoke to them. And so when that job ended, this one opened and I went pretty quickly and have been now at Omnicom since 2004. And I've gotten through all the jobs at Omnicom, both working on the, not even knowing what an ad agency did that talked to doctors, but learning about that. And then all my roles subsequently from that of being someone who asked a question and someone said, well, we don't have a business that focuses on it. Why is a client asking? And I said, yes, can we create a, can we create a business from it and being open to doing it? And so I think it's the notion of, I love jobs that didn't have a job description. And that's how I got to the job I am before. There was no one who did my job before me at Omnicom. Incredible. And I think every Deloitte or other consultant is probably cursing you out as we speak after having to work so hard to get there. Um, but, you know, Omnicom is an ad agency and not a pharmaceuticals company. So what do you believe is the role and opportunity of communications in health or in innovating health? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because I view health as foundational. Right. And we're seeing that now, even in the moment we're in with with COVID and even with social injustice and health equity. You know, in my world, when there's an inequity, it's the difference between life or death. Right. It's not the difference between someone making a choice about a, a purchase they need or want. And I think because health is foundational, what I mean by that is um, it's intrinsic to your identity. Right. When you're sick and I mean chronically sick or you deem yourself as sick or you have a condition that treats your world and your perception and your reality as different than what you perceive other people's life experience is, it changes who you are as a human. It changes your way that you navigate through this world. And so communications has a key role because communications is a way of intervening in someone's world and their living of it. So that they can get the care they need. They can get the resources they need to live their best life. And so it's incumbent upon communicators to also understand not just what other people believe is true, but what each individual believes is true for themselves. And so that they can intervene in making sure that that person 
uh, can be addressed in the best way, can get, again, the care that they need, can take care of themselves, um, and then can demand it from the institutions that therefore um, provide health resources. And you've, of course, yourself have been involved with so many different aspects of this field. You've commercialized specialty oncology, primary care, consumer, over-the-counter surgical and device products, and other things that, quite frankly, I'm not mentioning because I can't pronounce. Um, But you've done that in over 83 markets worldwide. So when you look at the actual go-to-market, what do you think is the most innovative and effective way a product or device can go to market? And what is your approach to thinking? that through. When I started in this world, right, and if we if we jump to the world, we jump to the advertising side of the world, um, and the PR side of the world, and the media side of the world, because Omnicom, it's the it's the world's largest marketing services company, so it's a lot of different aspects. It used to be siloed in how we talk to doctors, how we talk to the health systems, how we talk to governments, how we talk to the government agencies, and how we talked ultimately to patients was siloed. Now, thank goodness, it's a lot less siloed um, because it needs to work together because real change is really only fostered together. And that requires us to also think about the holistic stakeholder journey for any change to be made, right? So a really good example of what you're asking is the experience we're living right now with vaccines, right? One of the most divisive things that we see in health today is do people believe in vaccines or not believe in vaccines, whether it be the flu or what will happen with COVID? Um, how, how much trust do people have in their communities, in the centers that offer vaccines, in the creation of them in order to be able to take that step? And beyond that, how much trust do they have in the institutions in vetting those different interventions? So when we think about go-to-market strategy, it's really understanding, again, that individual experience, what they're going through, the context in which they're living in order to be able to make those choices, not just because you want to improve someone's bottom line, but because you really want to improve the experience of an individual going through this life. You know, give everyone the best chance to be their best self. In your role at Omnicom, I'm sure you face a lot of clients that say they want innovation. And in reality, They want innovation with boundaries. So what are your thoughts on iterative innovation and how do you maneuver this kinds of situation? It's such an interesting thing. There's always buzzwords, right? Um, It used to be strategy and now it's innovation and, and we're moving on to digital and data and everyone wanting something around that. And they're really all asking for similar types of, of things. My first thing I always ask clients is define it. You know, I'm not smart enough. I always like using it. I'm not <laughs> smart enough to understand your definition. Please define it for me. Because in their definition, intrinsically is an answer to their question. Because what's really interesting, you said iterative innovation. I once had a client say to me, Michelle, I want innovation. I want brand new thinking. I want great ideas. I want to be bold. But I want it without risk. And I want to do something someone in my organization has done before, but not my business unit because... Um, I want it to be approved by my organization, but feel different. So you really just want good press is really what we're talking about, right? And I I was quiet. I said, I'm going to let you ask that question again yourself or say that statement. And then I'm going to let you hang up the phone and come back to me. He called me back and said, yeah, that probably sounded silly, right? It did because iterative innovation or innovation that is just trying to make incremental benefits dies, Right. You can't have innovation truly in an organization and put guardrails on it. 
That's not the definition of true innovation. Cutting edge things means something has to break. So really the conversation is what are you willing to break? What, or what are you willing to have broken? And what is the dialogue you want to have to set expectations for what needs to be broken in order to get to better? So there's always inherent risk internally and externally with something. And really it's around managing that risk in order to get to, to something that's vastly different. And the other question I like to ask folks is why? Why does this need to change? Are you doing it because you're trying to make a name for yourself or you're doing it because something really needs to change? And again, working in the world of health, a lot needs to change. A lot needs to evolve, right? But not everything needs to be broken. So let's be clear on what kind of change is necessary and setting the expectations for that. But then you yourself also have a challenge of creating innovation within an organization that you're a part of, um, Omnicom. How do you inspire and create innovation within Omnicom when you do have so many different entities, stakeholders, and agencies? So really we look at it in, or I like to look at it in three ways, right? Um, There is obviously external and internal forces that require this to exist. But when you're a services organization, it's really the external factors that push you to do it, right? That's that's the nature of it. But it's really up to us to read the tea leaves of where business or where humans are headed to be able to foster that innovation and drive it through. So the three things we like to do is first, inspire individuals with content. People are hungry for trusted content. Mm-hmm. right? Content that comes from groups that's interesting and different and sparks something. Working in creative services is one of the best things in the world because inspiration can come from anywhere. And then you have to be able to figure out how to, to deploy it everywhere. So it's really about bringing outside in content or even, and that's the second point, creating inside content. So what I mean by that is when you have 70,000 people that you're working across in so many different countries and so many different individual companies, they all bring individual interesting perspectives of how they too solve a problem. So sometimes it's just about giving people clear lanes to connect together on. And I'm a real fan of, you you can't try to force that. You have to make the safe space for it. And then people have to find their own way towards one another in order to trust each other and be able to have discussions and ideas and generate things together. And then once they trust each other, they get to great places. And then the third thing for that is, is to remove any barriers that would form an impediment for them to being able to bring that to clients, to market, to themselves, right? And that's also my job is how do you clear lanes and hurdles for people to be able to drive that within the organization and drive that externally with clients? And then considering communication as as kind of a tool and one of way to spark innovation is to really change conversations. Mm -hmm. So are there any conversations that you're really excited about changing or contributing to, whether that's with your clients or as a whole? So there's a couple of them because there's so many, as you say, conversations in health. I'll focus on two. So um, one we touched on already is is vaccines. And I think one of the interesting things that you've seen in the last few years is this notion of you have a lot of different government agencies and, and health players, uh, whether that be the public or the private sector, that have spent a lot of time talking, if you will, in scientific terms around vaccines. And that's necessary, right? The science has to be there. Um, there's truth in science, whether we whether whether it's believed or not, there's truth in science, and we have to honor that. That said, individual behaviors aren't necessarily formed by ivory tower, uh, Ivy League thinking, 
right? There's a power in that. But at the same time, you watch individuals, especially through the channels that we all get in social media, give over their trust willingly to someone who doesn't have a degree in understanding science, but somehow has an individualized experience that reinforces one's own, right? And so acknowledging that sometimes behaviors are formed not from fact, but from experience is really, really important. And changing the conversation to be about how do I help explain fact in an experiential way is really one of the most important things that's going to actually make a difference in how we get out of the muck we're in now. And speaking of the muck we're in now, back to the notion of health equality, there are systems in place everywhere around the world, social determinants of health, whether that be where you live, what you have access to, your transportation, your food, your education, that determine your potential health outcomes. Understanding those inequities that are built into systematic institutions and having fact-based conversations about how that actually creates and perpetuates inequality is one of the most important things we can do as health communicators. So those are starting up conversations, both on the policy side, as well as the behavior side that we're involved in. And, and, and they're some of the best conversations they really are. This wouldn't be a conversation around innovation if I didn't throw in more buzzwords at you, which is, as you mentioned, uh, digital. So what do you think are some barriers and opportunities with utilizing digital to maybe solve for some of those issues that you discussed or contribute in other ways? So I think I'll break that into two kind of separate parts. So digital and health is one of the biggest areas of opportunity, full stop. And I mean that not just in the um, communications angle of it, I'll focus on that in a second, but in the product angle of it, right? So when you think about, you know, it started with interventions on your phone and apps, and we've moved so far beyond that, right? Where digital is around not just tracking, but understanding oneself and the behaviors that are either reinforced or, or or interjected in order to change a pattern of behavior or health that you're, whether it be your sleep, what you're eating, what you're consuming, how you're living your life, how you sit, um, do you walk, all of that. But also, most importantly, and we're seeing this in this time, mental health, right? There is such a gap in terms of understanding how mental health plays into overall health. And I really view that technology is going to really be much more able to solve for that than any pill, syringe, um, or one-on-one -on -one engagement is great, but it's hard to scale. And so what you're seeing now with telehealth, what you're seeing with actual um, interventions that can be fed through digital, real-time dialogues, discussions, and community-based organizations is fantastic because that's really where the rubber meets the road of how digital can intervene for better outcomes. From a communication standpoint, we're at the era where science fiction has become science, right? There's actual gene therapies out there. We just saw CRISPR win the Nobel Prize, which is phenomenal. Um, really love the two founders and what they've done. But really what they've done is really understand biology down to a cellular level and be able to navigate having interventions at that cellular level to be able to change health of an individual. That requires precision Science requires precision communication for us to get to one-to-one -to -one 
understandings that happen as I, as a person, understand what can happen for me, what is beneficial for me, and why is it beneficial for me, and what is my experience through life, my experience biologically, my experience mentally and socially that is going to be changed and for the better, and what are the decisions I need to make about it. So again, digital will change health, and digital will change the experience of health and the opt-in for those therapies, if you will. So I don't have to tell our listeners what a wealth of knowledge you are because already you've offered so much to us, but I really would love to hear about a time that you felt like a failure. Uh, what would you communicate to others about that and uh, tell us the tell us the story? So I think what's really interesting about failure is it's constant. It's constant, um, whether it be in the little or big ways. And I think in science, there's the principle of failure being built in, right? Hypotheses, we forget this as kids, we make experiments and they fail and that's how we learn from them and that's okay. And I love, you know, I have a nine-year-old and I love that we're teaching kids it's okay to fail now. But what about ourselves? How do we make that okay for ourselves and that experience? And in my career and in my life, I failed all the time. I fail every day with you know, making a decision because I made it based on the information I had at the time and you have the information you have at the time. And that turned out to be the wrong decision for a number of reasons. Okay, you admit that. And then you have to, you have to go through it anyway, right? I failed. I, I mentioned the time that I went to the startup and the startup said, you're not, you're, you're, you shouldn't be here. Like we're changing our company. You shouldn't be here. And while other people may not deem that as a real failure, it's not what other people deem. It's what you yourself believe. And I believed in that moment, I was a failure. How could I not see this? How could I not be smart enough to anticipate this? How can I not be the right fit? After making such a big leap, right, from an enormous consulting firm like Deloitte and deciding to go to this startup, and even if they changed, it didn't matter. I should have, you know, there's six weeks. How did I not ask, ask the right questions in an interview to know where they were going? And so recognizing that you're allowed those moments to say, what did I do wrong in order to get to say, okay, now what do I need to do? Not right, but that's better for me. My mother always had a saying that she tells me, she's many, don't all mothers. Mm -hmm. um, and hers was, you go through things so that when someone else comes to you because they're going through it, you have empathy. And I love that because I always like to ask questions in an interview, name a time you failed. Don't give me the sunshine and roses as to how you learned, whatever, that you felt like you failed. How did you get up again? And one of the best things about failing is knowing that there's another end to it and knowing that you're going to do it again. The next day or, or that same day, as you mentioned, you also mentioned that you have a son and it's no secret that motherhood can be an, incre an incredibly exciting, but also challenging part of a woman's life. So how have you maneuvered through balancing being a mom and overseeing Omnicom's largest health clients globally? Well, I think an area to look at with that is always going to be, you're not going to win everywhere every day. Again, that's part of the notion of failure too, right? Um, and the idea, someone once told me, go where you're most needed. And I think that's really important. And sometimes where you're most needed is at work and you have to be able to ask for help there. And sometimes where you're most needed is at home and you have to be able to ask for help from your colleagues there. COVID has been really trying time for a lot of individuals. And I don't think there's a perfect experience. If you're living alone, it's exceedingly isolating. Um, if you're taking care of an older parent, it's really hard. 
um, to be separate, but need to be, you know, really involved. And being a parent of a special needs kid who has um, the need to both school from home and now also school from hybrid, right, where you're doing both is is tough. And so early on, my husband and I failed. We, we, we tried to do like every hour who was doing school, who was doing work. Uh, that was miserable for all of us. Uh, my son really didn't love that. And, and, and it was unfair to him and unfair to my clients and colleagues because they weren't getting me 100% in that moment. So what we did is we put out a schedule to all of my clients and to my colleagues. I sent out this, I guess, what's now kind of known with an Omnicom as, hey, these are the hours I'm going to be a teacher. I'm a very bad <laughs> third grade teacher, but I'm going to do it. And these are the hours that I'll be working. Please keep to these hours. And so what we're doing, and we've, we've done it and carried it through, is be very public about the time that people can count on me and what way they can count on me. And one, I'm sorry, there is just no way that I can be 100% for you because I have to be 100% for my son. And that's being fair to him too. So I think an experience you describe is especially unique, but especially unique to women who were and are disproportionately affected to COVID-19. What do you think allowed you to have the willpower to, to speak up and to kind of set that precedent within Omnicommon, within the, any working environment? It's a really good question because one of the things that we don't as women take into consideration always is raising our hands and asking for help or asking for support. But I always believed that vulnerability makes you strong because it's the notion of people, other people need to see you as human. And so what I realized early on with my team, who has a tremendous amount of, of, of working mothers on it and in our agencies as well, which is wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful and lucky to be in an organization that recognizes strong women and expects them to have a voice and a place at the table. Having that means that you had to have those conversations and also be able to build up to that point. You had to talk to people. And I did. I had to talk to people on my team. I had to talk to people in my company and, and, and empathize with them and hear from them what they were going through. And also get to the point where I realized if I didn't model behavior, I was going to set people on a course that I should that I never would want to be part of, right? Without me going forward and being one of the first to say, this is what I need. This is what my family needs. And this is what I need as a professional as well as a, a, an individual in order to stay safe and sane and productive. We have someone in my company, he's been a great mentor who says, is it positive? Is it productive? Is it possible? And it ha profitable? Is it impossible? Those four things um, in that order. And so really understanding that I had to model that behavior to allow permission for other people to feel like they could do that too was important. And to your point, ultimately speaking, if you had burned out or, you know, been super all over the place and those clients would have, would have gone elsewhere. And I think understanding clients are human too, right? I have a lot of clients who are going through the same thing. I also think it's okay to acknowledge breaking down. I, I just had a conversation with my team where I said, the name of the game is persistence, folks. And everybody's going to have breakdowns and go into a black hole for 10 minutes every day. That's okay. Allow that to be okay. And allow your, your friends and those you choose to open up to, to be part of that journey. Without it, you won't survive. And, and you, you have to like yourself on the other end of this, too. You have to like who you've become and, and what your experience has been. So, you know, if, if, 
if you're going to give your energy anywhere, give it to the places in your life that you need to and give it to your colleagues and your friends and your clients who are there to support you and you them. Isn't that a great way to use your energy? And some of the ways in which you have used your energy was being on at least four advisory or director boards, which is not something that most people let most women can say. Um, Most recently, you've joined Quantum Leap Healthcare Collaborative on their board, and you also sit on the governing body of OmniWomen, Omnicom's global women's initiative, where you focus on international impact and expansion. How have you gone about attaining this level of impact and and what have been some of the challenges associated with it? I think, first of all, it's being open to it. I think a lot of times um, we think these things magically come up, you know, when you've attained a certain, quite frankly, stature and career or age or what have you. And really, it's just around being curious again and having conversations with people about what they're doing. Some of the boards I sit on were introductions for startups where people said, I just, i you know, I'm looking for advice. And then that builds into something. I always tell people, if you're looking to do that, start first with a friend or especially maybe not a friend, but a friend of a friend who's looking for potential advice and build that into something. Um, Talk to them about maybe being a more formal advisor to their company. It's a great way to get that experience and just be open to that dialogue. And from there, usually when you sit on one board, people come to you for others. You also have to be willing to say no. I've said no to some because they're better suited for other people. So that's another learning. Be generous. If someone comes to you and you know you can't really dedicate the time or don't have the relevant point of view for them, recommend someone else. We build credibility up, not just to have it ourselves, but to use it on other people. You know, be generous with that or else what's the point of building credibility in the first place? So I think, you know, not rec- or recognizing that it's not about you knowing everything in business or everything about a specific topic or area in order to be relevant. Sometimes it's just making sure that you can dedicate the time and the energy to the organization and what their goals are and be interested in their goals to what you said, especially when you're handing over those opportunities to other people that may not have had them. That's just another way to close the gender gap or any other other gap in innovation or otherwise. So before I let you go, I would love to ask you one final innovation question, which is where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? And this is such an interesting question to ask right now, right? Nobody knows what the next day is going to hold these days versus versus the decade out. I think that for the industry, again, health is going to become and has has been, but really is going to kind of get more and more critical. We're seeing the influx of pretty much every type of sector say that they're a health company. And gosh, isn't that a great thing? right? Whether you're in mobility, whether you're in telecommunications, whether you're in financial services, everybody has a role to play in health. Um, Whether it be the, the, the specific products, whether it be the policies, whether it be the interventions, whether it be the living experience of it, the access to it, there's so many different roles. This is an open invitation If you're not already working in health, please, we need the much amount of brains, as many amount of ideas as we can to solve some of the big thorny health challenges, because it's like a ball of yarn. You pull on it and it's not an easy solve. A whole bunch of things comes unraveled. Um, So what I would say is, you know, in 10 years, what we'll see is the health sector be the life sector. Health, it's not even wellness. It's just the living of it. 
right? And 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 that's great because it's going to really be around living experiences because um, so many new areas of diseases are going to be mental and social as well as physical. We know that already, but hopefully through communications, they'll be discussed and addressed and, and there'll be solutions for them. For myself personally, I look forward to that journey. It's a great journey to be on. I'm never bored. And I always like to say, maybe my strongest suit is I decide never to color inside lines, right? I've lived my life by coloring outside of the lines. Working in a big, you know, the holding company and company, which I have done a lot, it's it's like being able to explore, but with a bit of a safety net. And that's such a wonderful permission. Um, but at the same time, my company's great. And I would say to all women, look for a place that allows you to be your best self. And so in the next 10 years, I hope to meet so many more people. Um, this is also for your network, you know, please. Um, I love meeting interesting and different people who have ideas and doing great stuff and looking for supporting them on their journey. And not knowing what's coming next is my best, best, most exciting thing. It's what's got me through life. I think whatever job will exist for me, if it's a job or a career in 10 years, hasn't been invented yet. And so I look forward to inventing it. What a beautiful way to end today's podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Michelle. It's truly been a pleasure. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love all that you're doing, making sure there's communities and connections around the world on not just innovation, but in what can be contributed to society and the world. So thank you for including me in it and for some of your time as well. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.